Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Uh, man, I'm excited about this. We're going to finish up our series today and get through the full book here of Jude, but we've, we've got a lot that, oh, we're doing good on time, a lot that I want to cover, and uh, how many of you have heard something new? And I know it's not new, like, you know, it's not new in Scripture, but how many have heard some new concepts in this study on Jude? Anybody? Okay. All right. Uh, and if you haven't, go back and listen to the week on angels. Test one, two. Okay, there we go. Uh, there's a, a week on angels where we just kind of dove into some interesting things. And if you're unfamiliar with the book of Enoch, uh, once again, it's not necessarily the biblical canon. We don't believe that the book of Enoch is a part of the Bible. Um, but if the biblical authors were all reading it and they believed it and they understood it more as a textbook, why would we not? Why would we not dig in and kind of be in the know, if you will, if they're all going on and on about what's written in it? Uh, and, and so uh, just like any other, you know, at some point, America is in the shape it's in because a lot of the youngsters don't and even some of the older ones don't know the history of our nation. Right. Uh, if you can keep the history of the nation from the nation uh, themselves, then they will cease to be what they once were. Right. And, and why is that? Because what we don't learn from history or what we learn from history is that people don't what they don't learn from history. They don't they don't read it. They, they don't. I mean, it's hard to get anybody to read anything nowadays. I can't we can't even get you to read an email here at the church. <laughs> Pastor, I don't even know nothing about it. Well, it hit your email about six months ago. <laughs> I'm just saying, no, we're not salty at all. <laughs> no, but it, it, it's just funny because, you know, the. The situation that we're in, everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to blame it on, on everybody else. But the truth is, is that, look, people are, are easily controlled because people don't read and they don't learn. And, you know, you, you such as go the society. <laughs> I had a, a friend of mine at, um, at jujitsu. We had him over for dinner and we we're hanging out and he's like, bro, and he's not a church going guy. Um, and he was like, what do you think about the book of Eli? I said, I've never seen it. I've never seen that movie. How many have seen the book of Eli? So he's like, bro, you need to watch that movie. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch it. So this week I watched it. Son, I mean, I think that was Denzel at his best. You know what I'm saying? How many have seen the book of Eli? I mean, my goodness. Don't watch it with your youngins around, but it's, it's really good. I mean, you can if you want, but anyway, uh, that's up to you, I guess. But it was, uh, what a good movie. But like the premise of just seeing what happens when folks don't have the Bible, you know, when folks, and, and obviously it's, it's fiction. Um, but I, I think it's a pretty, pretty accurate depiction of, of what we're seeing today. The lawlessness, you know, the people that, that absolutely have no regard for the sanctity of life or our nation or any of that. But um, anyway, uh, we have here a book. Right, we have a part of the canon, Jude, a small book. How many verses are in? I, I say it wrong every week. Twenty-five, right? There's only twenty-five verses in this book. It's been it, it's been neat though uh, to see how much he touches on and what he packs into this little book. But overall, he's talking about false teachers. 
He's talking about, uh, and, and I'm, I'm really not trying to change the trajectory of our church today by dressing up. This is what you call, I literally, everything I put on this morning had a stain on it. <laughs> and I had, no, I had no casual clothes left. So I had to dig into my dress pants this morning. And then I had to put my dress shoes on because I had dress pants on and my Sperry's looked weird. So anyway, I'm really not trying to dress up. This is just what I had to put on this morning. So anyway, uh, I'll, I'll be back in a hoodie next week, I promise. <laughs> but uh, anyway, everybody's like, what are you doing? You got a, fu- you got a, you got a funeral today or something, or a wedding? No, sure don't. Just had a trip this week and didn't do laundry. But um, anyway, <laughs> I guess it's time to buy a few more pairs of jeans. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. Amen. I'm losing weight, though. I don't know what's going on, man. I tell you what, this shirt, last time I had it on was probably a year ago, and it didn't really fit that, that last time, and it fits pretty good now. So we're, we're going to stay on the trajectory that we're on. Amen. Uh jiu-jitsu will do that to you, but uh, anyway, I don't know where the heck I'm going with all that, but uh, here we are, but we're having fun, right? We're having fun. Uh, this book, he's talking about false teachers. He's talking about, uh, and, and we think, we consider that it's probably around AD 60, AD 65, the destruction of the temple historically, right? That's a, that's a point in time we know is AD 70, and there's nothing about that in this book, and so that's kind of how they use a lot of the historical information of the day to date these books. And so we think this is probably a contemporary of Peter's book, First uh, and Second Peter. Of We know his brother is James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Um, he's the half-brother of Jesus. And this was a, a circulated letter among the church. And so his concern is false teachers. And I'll say this, a lot of their concern was false teachers. If you consider the fact that during their lifetime, it was the religious leaders that crucified Jesus. The, the Sanhedrin, if you think about it, their, their government, the, the Jewish government operated hand-in-hand uh, hand with the Roman government because they were the empire that was in charge. And so the Ro- Rome, to keep the peace, allowed the Sanhedrin or the Jewish leadership, which is essentially the head of their church, to operate the way that their feasts and laws operated uh, within the confines of the Roman Empire. And so it was those leaders of the church that felt threatened by what Jesus' message was, and rightfully so. Why? Because he called them out for their, their junk. He, he, he saw that they were, uh, in his words, whited sepulchers, serpents. I mean, I, he was harsh with them. They were extorting the people. They were using, people were traveling for Pentecost or, or you know, at that time to, to have sacrifices happen in Jerusalem, and they were having to exchange their money there at the temple uh, to buy a sacrifice to offer that during their, uh, during their feasts and during their sacrifices. And the Bible says that they were robbing the people blind as they were exchanging money. They, their rate of exchange was really, really high. Why? Because they were profiting off of it. And, and Jesus essentially flipping tables, and we know kind of bits and pieces of it, right? But the, the point is, is the religious crowd uh, were the ones that were messing up. You know, they were the ones that were controlling people for their own benefit. And then here comes Jesus, right? Like the gospel message, I say this a lot, the gospel message is the fix for everything. Like if you're having trouble in your life, 
If you're having any issue at all, the gospel can confront it and fix it and solve it. What we see in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in his life is the salve, is the ointment, is the cure, is the medicine that our society needs. And so uh, he approaches the gospel with his life, right? Uh, He lives it. It's the good news. It's the the dramatic shift, the change. It's this thing where someone of extreme power, the supreme being of the entire universe, humbles himself. He leaves his powers at the door, so to speak, and comes and walks uh, and travels the, the, the roads that we travel on as a human without his powers. He was tempted like we were tempted, but yet he didn't sin. He never made a mistake. Satan tried to say, do you see all of this world and its power and its uh, glitz and its glamour, right? Do you you see everything? Like, I'll give it to you if you just worship me. And so Jesus felt what it was like to endure human nature, flesh and blood, the challenge of power. The three men that Jude puts on display, Cain, Balaam, and Korah, one that has his own way, his own path, the selfish behavior. Balaam, the one that is presented with a, a way to get rich quick, so to speak, by selling out his people. And then Korah, the entitled one that felt like he deserved something that he didn't deserve as far as a position because of his birthright. He, all of these men are given as examples to us as what false teachers are in this world. But Jesus, right? Jesus, the one who had all of that and chose to lay it down, he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What we experience through Jesus Christ, declaring our loyalty to him, understanding that what he did was something that no other human being in history could do. But you see, he could have gone about it, excuse me, he could have gone about it a different way. He could have used his power to annihilate every rebellious being on the planet. Every human being, every uh, person that exalted themselves against him, he could have just wiped the slate clean, but instead, being made in the image of God, human beings, and even angelic beings that we see that were still obedient to him, still loyal to him, he decided to do all the work himself to pave the way for us to have redemption, for us to have a plan to get back to where we once were in a right relationship with him. And so when he did what he did, when he lived perfect, and when he died for us in our place, substitutionary atonement, paying our penalty, good to see you, Nick, paying our penalty, doing what we could not do, he made a way for us to accept his work, his proven work, his perfect work on the cross. If we would just declare our loyalty to him, he did the work. He paid the price. He did the time. And then all of those who, and he not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, any that declare their loyalty to Jesus and that believe the good news of the gospel, he would then redeem. He would then set free. He would then buy back. He would put up the price for them 
to be delivered from the penalty of sin that was over them. But you see, the enemy is still at work. The enemy is still in this world. And, and uh, I think we heard it on one of those Operation Christmas Child videos a couple weeks ago where it's like, look, in 10 to 15 years, more than likely the whole world will have the Bible. The whole world will hear. And I, I kind of think personally, you know, a little math theology here, I kind of think that that's what we're waiting on here. Maybe there's a few pockets of the world with information in the Internet, the way it's traveled. It's not going to take that much longer for everybody to hear the good news of the salvation that the Lord has done for us. And so I think that as that news travels to the ends of the earth and everybody hears it, there really ain't nothing left to happen but for him to come back. How about that? So, but the, the point, right, is that the good news goes out. And so immediately, right, the enemy, knowing that they messed up, they crucified Jesus. Who would have thought a God that would lay down his powers? What kind of God is that? The real one. <laughs> the one that's not obsessed with himself, but obsessed with others. The one that chooses to serve instead of to be served. That's our God. And so our God did those things and... And so we see that from the beginning of the church, the explosion of everyone telling the good news, that's what the church is, we carry the message that within, the, the enemy has made a way for false teachers to rise up from within. And there's a profile, just like there's a messianic profile, there's a profile of who Jesus is and what the gospel does to a, a good life that has submitted themselves to the work of, of the gospel. There's also a profile of someone who pretends. There's also a profile of somebody who's fake, of, of someone who's a false teacher. And that's what this book is all about. This book is about those that are from within the church rising up to dissuade to turn folks aside from the true message of the gospel to another message, another gospel. And so Jude has done that, and this has been a, a, a little bit of a long introduction here, but just for, you know, it's our last week on it, so bear with me. Uh, the, you, you ever be like, you know, you're like in between in a cough drop where it's like pretty much done, it's holding on, one, one bite and everything disintegrates and it's ready to be swallowed. That's kind of where I'm at right now. So I'm going to go ahead and just finish it off, okay? There we go. Woo. Much better. Much better. If you have a coffee, take a sip, all right? Mm -hmm. Woo, man, that's stout. Ricola. Oh. oh, my. We're going to need one more sip there. <laughs> so, anyway, here we are. We're having fun. False teachers. So, Jude gives us this elaborate scheme in his letter, short 25 verses, got it right that time, of the watchers, these angelic beings, these leaders in the unseen realm that left their first estate. In other words, God had a post for them to stay by, and they decided they were going to rebel and go against the, the Almighty, go against the supreme being Yahweh, God, right, the, the Lord and Savior. So they rebel. And so Jude says, false teachers that are within the church they're not really operating on their own. What they're doing is connected to the Genesis 6 rebellion, like around the beginning of mankind. And then he says, not only are false teachers, what they're doing connected to when the watchers fell, which is in the book of Enoch, Genesis 6, Job chapter 1, Zechariah chapter 3, 
not only is, is, is what they're doing connected to what the watchers did, it's connected to every other false prophet that has gone before them, a.k.a. Cain, going the way of Cain, Balaam, selling the people of Israel <coughs> out for, for financial gain, uh, Korah, thinking that he was owed or deserved something because of his lineage, because of who, who he was, what his name was, recognition, right? So every, every false prophet that has gone before uh, is connected to what they're doing. Look, let me help you with something. There is nothing new under the sun. You're either serving the Lord or you're serving the enemy. There's two sides. And, and the delusion that there's all these other facets and you can get to God whatever way you want, that's an illusion, that's, that's something from the false teachers, from the false prophets, to say that you can get there any way you want. No, you can't. There's one way, and that's the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. You know, and anything less than that is of the same message that came from the watchers, that came through Cain, that came through Baal. That, look, there's nothing new under the sun. So when we understand this when we see it like we're either contributing we're pretending or we're practicing we're a practitioner or a pretender two sides to this coin here so anyway uh that's what we're going to jump in today so we're going to finish off the the series and the title of the message is it's opposite day it's opposite day uh so we're going to do the opposite the profile of the false teacher will be complete here in the text. And what that will do is hopefully it will show you what not to do. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes the best lessons in life are learned by watching others screw up. <laughs> Can anybody track with that? I mean, I, if I had a dollar for every time I heard a teenager say, I'm not going to do what my mom and dad did. And then over the last 13 years, I watched them do, guess what? Exactly what their mom and dad did. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not thinking of me, me. Okay. It takes a lot to break the cycle, doesn't it? Why? Because it's the same old, same old. You're fighting the same demons, the same challenges. But we serve a greater God. We really do. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, it's opposite day. So we're going to finish the profile of the false teacher, but, but we're going to keep going. And we're going to connect all this. Uh, and then we're going to take communion. And then we're going to go home. Sound good? All right, let's jump in. Go to verse 12. Verse 12 in Jude, if you have your Bible open, it'll be on the screens if not. And we're going to roll pretty quick, okay? These people are dangerous. What's the next word? Reefs. I grew up in Florida till like junior high. And uh, I had a little boogie board. I had a little surfboard. We enjoyed going to the beach every now and then. But I grew up five minutes from the beach. One thing that you always wanted to look out for is those reefs. Oh, my goodness. You could be going along and, I mean, hit the perfect wave. And, man, if you hit one of those reefs, if, if the wave turns the tip of your board, that's like the worst, right, with the boogie board, and it slams you into the ground, but not just the ground, but into one of those reefs, I tell you what, it will tear your leg up. It'll tear your face up. Many a time, my face is just like, you know what I mean? Like from here down to here. And I don't know if that's what the author is talking about, but when I read it, I was like, these people are dangerous reefs. I'm like, those things are dangerous. Why? Because you can't see them. You're just in the ocean. You're just enjoying the water. You're just riding the wave. You know? <laughs> and wham, before you know it, you're in too deep. And you're already hurt. 
These people are in the midst. They're in the water. They have a form of godliness. They're a version of what you think is right, but guess what? Ain't really nothing there. There's no substance. These people are dangerous reefs at your love feasts as they eat with you without reverence. I think about the Lord's Supper. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, and uprooted. Verse 13, they are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars, I underline this part, for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved for. It was about these that Enoch, right, he's pulling, he's tying in these traditions, the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of the holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers living according to their desires. Their mouths utter uh, arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you, in the end times, there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the what? Spirit. That completes, uh, for today, right? That completes the profile of the false teachers. I underlined or scored out in, in my Bible this portion here. It says, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. That's pretty damning, isn't it? Wandering stars for whom the blackness, when we think about the universe, when we think about the infinite nature, right, of like the skies and the heavens. Scripture says the heavens declare the glory of God, but the, the fact that the heavens could declare of a designer they see it as just a wasteland where they will wander forever and ever. Can you imagine being in the middle of something that is so magnificent and yet still not seeing it? The damnable nature of a false teacher is the fact that they have been surrounded with all of the evidence necessary to place their loyalty and to place their belief in who Jesus is, but yet they choose to ignore it. It's so sad. They choose to live in their ignorance and in their own way and in their own path. And the Bible says that the abyss is for them to be lost in forever. Completing the profile. Now, a few things that I see here, it's opposite day, right? Like, I don't want to just skip over the profile and then not take to heart some of these things. I mean, I just, so many New Testament texts are talking about persevering and endure to the end. You know what I mean? Like if you read the Bible and you read the New Testament, you're gonna, you're gonna encounter a lot of the gospel writers just saying, hey, stick with it. Don't give up. Why? Because life sucks. <laughs> life is hard. When we encounter hard things, when we encounter problems, it is at those moments that the enemy strikes and he says, don't follow. If he really loved you, would those bad things happen? At those moments, and that's where the gospel writers are saying, no, 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 no. Stay the course. Life has seasons. Seasons change. But if you're rooted, you will bear fruit. 
Do you understand, though, that false teachers, they're not rooted. Their clouds don't produce any water. There's no reason for what they do. They don't have a purpose other than to destroy. It's sad. So this profile that's completed, let's not ignore the profile. Let's not look over it. Why? Because some of the things that they do, I found myself as I was reading and I was like, I slip into that. There's another pitfall. Man, I, I shouldn't do that. Why? Because, look, who are we? We could fall away. We, we could hit a place where we don't believe anymore. You know what I mean? Like any of us are susceptible to falling away, to backsliding, to walking away. Look, the, you know, we've been at this church thing for a long time. And a lot of people come, and unfortunately, they go. Many people who were here a year ago aren't here today. It's sad. And I pray for them. I pray that they find a place. I pray that they stick it out, that they, you know, figure it out, that the Lord will bring them back. But ultimately, it's one of these things, you know, that, that takes them out. So let, let's, let's look at this, like the profile, right? Verse number 12 really personifies the profile. Here's the first thing I see. If you look at it, these people, dangerous reaps at your love feast as they eat with you without reverence. I think that's a clear, uh, a clear message to the Lord's Supper, right? It's the ordinance of the church where they were breaking bread and eating is the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, uh, through, through Paul, right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, this do in remembrance of me as oft as ye eat and drink. It's the, the thing that was addressed in 1 Corinthians that they weren't doing reverently. And so what does it say here? It says that they are irreverent for the Lord's Supper. What are clues about false teachers? What are clues in your own heart that you're straying? When the Lord's Supper is happening, you're irreverent. You're not, you're not feeling or sensing the weight of what the Lord has done for you. What's a surefire way to get on the wrong path? What's a surefire way to remove yourself from the voice of the Lord? Be irreverent during the Lord's Supper. Take a time when you're supposed to be examining yourself and your heart and getting right with the Lord and bypass the feelings so that you can stay and remain in your sin. That, that's a surefire way. Jude says, listen, the feast that, that the church is supposed to be engaging in, they are removing themselves from. They're there, they're present, but they're not reverent. Their heart is not what? Their heart's not in it. They're irreverent for the Lord's Supper. If you keep reading there, they're shepherds with, uh, who only look after who? <clears throat> themselves. They hold positions without their responsibility. False teachers hold positions without responsibility. Look, this ought to scare every one of us. You know what I mean? This, this ought to really jolt us in a sense like, and, and I'm not saying like live in fear, but there's a healthy understanding that what we have here as a church and, and every other church on the face of the planet is the Lord's. Like, he's building his church. We're just a part of it. And he has systems and structures. And, like, if we don't see the fact that people get into leadership positions without the responsibility, then we're kind of missing it. Why? Because a part of a shepherd 
part of his job is to protect the sheep. And as Jesus is the good shepherd, he's also the lamb of God, right, that takes away the sin of the world. So he is literally on both sides of the fence. He understands the role perfectly. And when he calls someone to lead the church, he says, listen, uh, a shepherd has responsibilities. As you seek responsibilities, chances are those responsibilities seek you out. And that's how the church works. Often the Lord calls you into something. And when folks are like, I don't really, I, I, can't, I, don't, I can't do that. I, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. Then you're probably the one who's meant for that position. But the person who is like, I'm in that position. I'm in there. Give it to me. Is probably the person who's not ready for the responsibility. In my experience. The Lord calls and whom he calls, he equips but if you look at the profile here, these guys are ready to jump up and take a position, but they're not ready for the responsibility. Why? Because they're only in it for themselves. And this profile is definitely connected to last week's uh, three, three guys, right? So holding position without responsibility. And this should not scare us away from positions, like, we need folks in church to step up and do. And look, this is God's church. This is a community church. For the most part, this is like volunteer run. Like, we need to let the Lord lead us. Like, this group thing that we're, that we're going into, this is an opportunity. This is a Christmas offering, don't forget. We're doing this, like, subliminal advertising in the middle of the message where we just put it up and put it back down. Christmas offering. <laughs> that was funny. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> look, it's important for us to step into these things, but I do believe that we should step into them with reverence, with caution, knowing that it's like, man, there's, there's weight here. What's the third thing I see? Number one, they're irreverent for the Lord's Supper. They hold positions without responsibility. Number three, they are present for the seasons without any change. They're waterless clouds. Carried along by the winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, and uprooted. What, what, what do I see here? I, I see Jude painting this picture that they're there, they're present for the seasons, but they're not present for the changes that the seasons bring. Consider that. Think about that. I love living in Maryland. I, I've, I've, I've come to, you know, this is, this is my home. It's where I'm at. I love the seasons that we experience. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's not like hot all the time, right? We, it gets cold. The trees lose their leaves. We get some winters for the most part. We get something. We get to experience a lot of that here, and I enjoy that. I enjoy this part of the country. <clears throat> but when a tree is rooted, it goes through those seasons, and it fulfills its responsibility as a tree. You know, even the dead flowers, right, they produce seedlings that fall from them and then go into the what? Ground for next what? For next spring. There's a purpose for every season, and that purpose is the change that happens that perpetuates literally everything that we know and love about our world. You know, I was, I was listening to a... Um, I'm reading this book, it's an audio book, but it's talking about really apologetics. And he, he talks about how really everything can be some sort of mathematical equation. 
You know what I mean? Like, how many love math? Right? Like, it's, math is a cool thing. I love math. Music, I love music. Music is just nothing more than math. You know, the, the languages that we partake in. But his point is like, look, everything that we have could be divided or, or you know, anything good that we have experienced. Like, if you go to build a house, if it's going to be a good house, it's going to be something that you can what? Calculate. You use measurements to provide and guide. And, and it really seems that our whole world was built on systems and structures. That we discover through science that we see that things are very calculated. Math is literally all around us. And as we understand it, society and, and, and the world as we know it becomes alive as we see the ornate systems and structures that were put into place. What am I getting at? What, what's he getting at? It sure looks like things are designed. It sure looks like things have been created in such a way that we can enjoy them as we live in those systems and structures. It's a beautiful thing. It's calculated, and those calculations come with seasons. Listen, some of you are in a difficult season, and some of those things are hard to calculate. Some of you, it's unfathomable. DJ was uh, (coughs) in the 9 a.m., and he played for both services this morning, but when you look at him and Nicole and some of the things that they're walking through, it's, it's really incalculable. You know what I mean? Like, it's something that, like, just gives you the ultimate gut check of, thank you. It just gives you the ultimate gut check of, like, how am I going to process these things? How how am I going to process the suffering that I'm enduring? Some things you absolutely, you just can't process them. You just have to let that season play out. And then you see the change that takes place as you walk through those difficult things. I think of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, uh, the phone threw me off. (laughs) And in his law doth he meditate day and night, that he should be like a tree planted by rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall what? Prosper. Psalm 1. The seasons come and change. As long as we stay rooted, we will experience the change. We will experience the why. The false teachers are literally uprooted. They're a plastic plant. They're a fake plant from Ikea, specifically. No. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's, it doesn't do you any good. It's not going to bring forth fruit. When the appeal, when the look is gone, so is the plant. You're going to throw it out with next year's garage sale. Like every other thing that our society produces. We are so unwilling to go through seasons in life. We only, we abandon and we bail on relationships when they become difficult and hard. My wife and I, and many of you that have been married for years and years and years, like our relationship has never been better. You know what I mean? Like we, I could make all you youngins blush in here. No, I'm kidding. 
But it, it's, it's hard to explain. It is definitely like fine wine. A marriage relationship that ages, you just, you cannot calculate the damage, right, that is done with some of these feel-good, hook-up culture. What, what they think is so good about their relationships, it's just a facade. It's not a deep-rooted well that springs, that brings life for years and years to come. And I don't mean just children. That's a part of it. But it's, unless you experience it, unless you submit yourself to the seasons, you'll never experience the change. You'll never experience the fruit. Difficult times make us into who we are. The gospel shows us that, the fellowship of his sufferings. But the false teachers never submit themselves to those things. So what I see here in the profile that's completed is irreverent for the Lord's Supper. They hold positions without responsibilities. They're present for seasons without any change. And I think about the examples of Cain, Balaam, Korah that we discussed last week. <clears throat> and the one thing that that all of them have in common is the collateral damage of followers that were influenced by their unrepentant lifestyles. Look, can you, can you just think with me for a moment? Think about all the people that follow the false teachers. The, the sheep that were shepherded by a bad shepherd. The collateral damage. I mean, this is why we have the word of God. This is why we have the Holy Spirit to help and rebuke. But like sometimes like all it is for me is just like YouTube or seeing it on Instagram or, you know, these preachers that are out there just literally steering people to nothingness, to the quote of the darkness of the, you know, infinite universe is theirs to wander in for eternity. There's no direction. Like think about that, which is all the more reason for us to be planted for us to know, for us to be active in our faith so that we can be a part of helping folks weed through the minutiae and call out the fakes and the phonies. But, but there's a specific way to do that, and we'll talk about that at the end. It's just important for us to understand that there's a cause, as David said, with Goliath. Hey, all of you Israelites sitting here, hearing him trash your God, Hearing him make fun, right? Is there not, David said, a cause? Look, church, is there not a cause? I feel a sense of weight for folks in our community. Who have you rubbed shoulders with this week and you have the message of the gospel and they don't? Who have you rubbed shoulders with this week and you have a message that brings clarity in life to suffering, but they don't? your coworkers, your family members, your friends. Like, <clears throat> if you know the word of God, it comes with a responsibility. Jude doesn't leave the letter. He doesn't leave the tension of the letter just on the false teachers. Guess what he does? He turns back to us. He turns back and says, yes, now that you know the profile, it's your responsibility to do something about it. And woe be it to us to add to the problem, right? I hope we're not 
dabbling in those things ourselves. And if we are, look, it's okay. Confess and repent. The Lord is faithful to forgive us, right? But he turns, and that's, that's where I want to go right here. This is where we're going to end our focus here. The false teachers were personified there. But how do we battle? How do we war against it? I was reminded of these scriptures this week. You ready? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the, demolish, for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, we should see what they do not see. One more scripture. For our struggle, Ephesians 6.12, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. It is not the false teachers that we are fighting against. These forces are being controlled by false, false teachers are being controlled by forces. Therefore, we also, as Christians, should be controlled by a force. Do you understand what I'm saying? They are being controlled by principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. We should be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Both, both are in a position of the middle ground, and we talked about that. Humans are in the middle ground, but they are being controlled by a lesser force. We should be controlled by the Holy Ghost. Now, go to verse 20, and this is where we end the book. And we look at his, his directional shift here to us. Look at it. Verse number 20. I love this. Look, this should be a huge encouragement to you. It was to me. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. Isn't that interesting? Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to protect you from the stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, without blemish and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, and power and authority before all time, now and forever. And the church said, Amen. Isn't that wonderful? What do I see there? How does he close it out? What, what are our marching orders? What do we do about this? I mean, there's false teachers. There's people in our midst. And I've seen some pastors just tear through, you know, calling people out, naming names, right? In the midst of just control. The war is not on the outside. The battle is not to be fought with stooding face to face. The battle is to be fought on the inside. Here's what I see here as we close out the book. As we prepare ourselves for, how many know that there's a war happening? How many know there's a cosmic battle of good and evil? How many see it? Yeah. How do we win that? What do we do? It's right there. Number one, strengthen your faith. 
Strengthen your faith. This is really practical, church. He says, build, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Look, this is where the rubber meets the road. You ready? Strengthen your faith. I put it this way. Make a conscious effort to sure up your trust and confidence in the Lord consistently. How many struggle with your confidence in the Lord? Everybody's hand should be up at time to, from time to time, right? How, how many know for sure 100% all the time you never have a doubt? None of us. We all doubt. <clears throat> we all have struggles with that. We all, we all have fears. We all, uh, in, in this life, will experience those things. Why? Because we're human. But just because we experience those things doesn't mean that we should abandon. When we encounter seasons, change is inevitable. And so in those changes, in the middle, in the gray, in those moments when things become really insecure, that's when Jude says, you need to sure up your faith. Strengthen your faith. Look, how do we do that? It's pretty easy. It's pretty simple. It's just time. When we spend time with the Lord, we experience his strength. We experience his might. We experience his consistency. It's really hard when you only go to the Lord when you're having a problem. It's really hard to say, yeah, my faith is really strong when you haven't done anything to strengthen your faith in months. Why do people come and go? Because they're not rooted. Well, how do we... How do we get rooted? Well, we go to the Word of God. It, it's, it's there. It's available. Well, I just don't know. Look, here's the thing, and I'm, I'm like, guilty of this, right? We get, on, we get on something, and we're on fire for, like, a month, and then we trickle off. You know what I mean? I'm, man, I'm going to learn. I'm going to read my Bible every day. As soon as January 1st rolls around, you know what I mean? Man, I'm on New Year's resolution, man, every day. Okay, where are you at in February? Man, I'll get it next year. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Man, we're gung-ho. How about you just read for 15 minutes? Every day. Every day. Every day. Yeah, spending an hour in the scriptures is awesome. But if you're not likely to do it every day, then just start with 15 minutes. That 15 will turn into 20. That 20 will turn into 30. That 30 will be like, man, the Lord gave me something this morning. He might not give you something every morning. People that are like, I'm standing there till I get something. Okay, <laughs> sure. Look, there are days that you're just not going to get anything. It's okay. I- I'm just going to be real with you, all right? If you get something out of those, you know, lists of names, good for you. <laughs> you know, great. And I know there are things, there are treasures to unearth but there are portions of the Bible that it's like, I just got to get through this. Lord Jesus, help me. And yeah, there's revelation that can happen there, but it's more about the character and the consistency. Remember, the false teachers, they're a flash in the pan. They're not rooted. Waterless cloud. Look, can we just be people of the book? How How do we find ourselves like substantive? Strengthen your faith. If, if you, listen, it's just like everything else in life. If you lift weights, if you diet, whatever it is. If you're doing martial arts, it's every week showing up. Showing up. 
I haven't put these pants on in a while. I'm telling you. And this morning I was like, whoo, help us, Lord, it's working. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you got to find something that you're willing to show up for every week. And, and the change, let the change happen in the seasons. This is something our society knows nothing about. I want to drive through in a window and get it right now. Nothing good is built in one season. It's after season, after season, after season, after season. Strengthen your faith. Start now. Just get in the biblical gym. Do you understand? <laughs> Sarah and I were talking about this the other day. It's funny. Like we're, and we're, we're, you know, it's, it's how it is. You get to the point where you're like facing your late 30s, and it's like, I'm going to be 40 before I know it. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have a teenager here in, in a minute. It's crazy. And it's like if we don't change things now, it's never going to happen. <laughs> we're going to be stuck in this loop, you know. So we start making changes. And, and, and you know, it, it's, it's not easy. It's difficult. But she starts seeing it. One person she was listening to, it was like, look, don't even, don't, don't even say you're going to work out. When you want to make a change to go to the gym, just go to the gym every day. Show up, get a drink of water, and leave. And do that for 30 days. You know what I mean? It's like just show up, go in there, whatever it is. Maybe you just, you know, put your clothes in there and take them back out and walk out. Like build, you know, don't. And the point is, is just start making a routine. Start making a habit. We need to start making routines to strengthen our faith. And many of you, there's maybe an area of your life that you're good at this, right? But maybe there are other areas that could use this. Maybe you have discipline in, in, in other areas. Take that discipline and apply it to your walk with the Lord. The weapons, remember, of our warfare, they're not carnal. You'll never regret spending time in your Bibles. Never. I've never met somebody who's like, Pastor, I just, I just regretted all that time wasted reading the scriptures. I just don't, I don't get it. It's, it's horrible. I'm never going to get that time back. Never. I've never met anybody to say that. I have met people to say, man, that book's changing my life. Book of Eli. Tell him. <laughs> Was that in this service or the one before that I talked about that? It was this one. Okay, sorry. When I preach two messages back to back, I forget what, anyway, you get it. Strengthen your faith. And number two, pray in the holy. Oh, man, I spent too much time on that one. It's important, though. Number two, he says this, dear friends, build up yourselves in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to get weird here, but number one, strengthen your faith. Number, number two, pray in the Holy Spirit. I'll put it this way. Make intercession with God daily. Make intercession with your God daily. Some people believe that praying in the Holy Spirit is praying in tongues. I'm not here to debate. I'm just letting you know. Either way, if it's in tongues, then it's between you and who? You and God. Like, the point is, I've, I feel in this scripture, whatever your connection is with the Holy Ghost, make it, and make it often. I don't care if you speak in tongues. I don't care if you speak in another language. Just speak to him. The point is, he says, pray in the what? Holy Spirit. When was the last time you asked the Holy Spirit something? Every day, I make it a habit to say, Holy Spirit, lead me across somebody's path that doesn't know you. Holy Spirit, before I have a phone conversation, nine times out of ten, I say, Holy Spirit, can you give me the words to say for this conversation? 
before I preach, I say, Holy Spirit, can you give me the words to say for this message? Tell the people what you want them to hear. The Holy Ghost is on site. He's living with you. A false teacher doesn't have that. Do you understand what I'm saying? You got the power, but we don't use it. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Pray in the Holy Spirit. Don't just get in a habit of praying for your food or your routine, even though those are good things. Pray directly to the Holy Ghost. How many, like, there are things in, there are things that God wants you to do. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, God would lead me to do that thing. But maybe it's just the fact that you haven't prayed in the Holy Spirit to actually give you what you need to do it. How many people sit on a gift or a talent and it's like, literally the Lord wants to use that thing for his church, but you're just not willing to get him in on it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like get the Lord in on what you have going on. He has a purpose. He has a plan. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Number three, keep looking for Jesus. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus for eternal life. There's something different about a Christian that's ready for the Lord to come back. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Number three, keep looking for Jesus. Don't despair, anticipate. Don't despair, anticipate. What's the difference between a false teacher and somebody who's rooted in the word? I'm not worried about what happened on the news. I'm really not. Why? Because I'm not really a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of the next one. And I'm looking for that one to come back. We're about to go into the Christmas season, the Advent season. That means the first Advent, the first what? Coming of the Lord. And he came as a baby, right? We're going to celebrate that. It's called Christmas. How many are ready for Christmas? How many have already started Christmas shopping? (laughs) It's amazing. I'm so excited. I love Christmas. Man, I just want to like go broke every Christmas. (laughs) Buy everyone gifts. Ah, It's amazing. I love it. It's awesome. It's a great celebration. It's going to be huge. I don't know why that guy showed up. (laughs) My favorite part every year for Christmas is when Donald Trump is in Home Alone. Everybody know what I'm talking about? That one spot. And I'm like, man, every lib is like, get him out of there. And I'm like, it's going to be huge. <laughs> it's great. I love it. And then, like Rainy, when she was little, Donald Trunk. She called him Donald Trunk. I thought it was funny. Anyway. Huge. <laughs> Look, I have like an understanding that the Lord is coming back. So I don't get hung up. I celebrate his first coming but I look forward to his second coming. He came as a baby the first time, but he's coming as the conquering king the second time. Complaining about what's happening in the world is like to God saying, you're not coming back. I just can't believe it. I'm like, so bad. Okay, um... Why don't you just tell him that you don't believe he's coming back? No. (laughs) I just thought of a really random illustration, right? Every woman who is pregnant, I have watched my wife birth four amazing children, right? 
poor thing. <laughs> and several of those at the same time, you know, like nothing like it. It was really cool watching them play in there, you know. It's like they're doing their calisthenics, you know. Be like Ross was like here and River, and they're in there fighting. Like no one ignores the fact that like they're going. Women go through trauma with childbirth, right? It's like poor thing has never been the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? And God bless her, she's getting there. But it's like your belly just starts growing, your body changes. No one, like, looks at a pregnant woman and says, what the heck's wrong with you? <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> and if you do, watch out, because she's going to slap the fire out of you, right? Nobody's going to come to that pregnant woman like, is something going on there? Everybody knows. It's an understanding that for nine months, you don't talk about it, right? And at the end of that nine months, an amazing miracle happens, the birth of a child. And all the things that happened leading up to it, we just are not going to discuss. And if, and if you need to go out and buy pickles at midnight, you're going to go buy pickles at midnight. Strange things are happening. But you understand that there's a human growing in there, and so that's going to come with some responsibilities and some things. Christians, we just act like the world isn't in travail. We act like the Lord isn't coming back, that there isn't going to be something that happens. And so when we complain and we murmur about all of the suffering, it's like looking at the pregnant woman going, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? Bad things are going to happen to good people. All of this is a, it's going to come to a boiling point when Jesus actually comes back and writes every what? Wrong. So to complain about it is for us to say, I don't really believe he's coming back. Why are we insulting the pregnant woman here? Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is coming back. And if we actually believed that, if that became something that was internal and not just external, then we would foresee things. We would, that would be a good filter for us to say, I know the Lord's coming back. I know this is going to be solved. I know that these challenges will be accepted by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's why Jude says, listen, keep looking for Jesus. Don't despair, anticipate. It's amazing how much better your attitude can be when you're anticipating something happening rather than crying over spoiled milk. The last one, I only have like 60 seconds to spend on this because we are taking communion today. Love people till the end. Love people till the end. Number one, strengthen your faith. Number two, pray in the Holy Spirit. Number three, keep looking for Jesus. He says here, have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Here's how not to deal with a false teacher. I hate you. You're awful. You're no good. Jesus gave us a template for dealing with our enemies, and he said to love them. How do we deal with the other side of this, deal with it the way the gospel dealt with you. You were in opposition to the gospel. You were a sinner that Jesus came for. <clears throat> we are no better than anybody else. We're no better. We, listen, it is our responsibility to help those who waver. You know, if, if the lost and dying world saw you love on somebody that hates you, I think that that would work more in their life 
than you talking bad about them. We're real good at criticizing other people, aren't we? We're real good at throwing people under the bus. Jesus threw himself under the bus. The gospel was him letting it being done to what? Himself. Paul said the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable into his death. Christians, we have to get good at loving people all the way to the end. You know that person that you think will never come to Jesus? Keep loving them. Keep loving them. You know that family member? You know that coworker? Guess what? Keep loving them. Maybe it's your spouse. Keep loving them. How do we battle? How do we fight? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to God to the pulling down of strongholds. No one is out of his reach. Even the false teachers, we need to pray for them. The old song, I prepare for battle on my knees. Look, we, we don't need to criticize and slander. We don't need to be the church that yells at the other side of the political aisle. We need to be the church that just loves everyone. Why? Because the Lord's coming back and the Lord is gonna sort this thing out. And you're gonna achieve a lot more by loving people that aren't like you than by hating those people who aren't like you. The Lord died for them too, just like he died for you. How do we deal with this? Jude says, here's how you deal with it. You, you love the person who's wavering. You snatch people from the fire. You get rooted. You strengthen your faith. You pray in the Holy Spirit. You live like Jesus is coming back. And you help somebody else that's not doing it for themselves. But I'm just going to point out the fact that I'm doing all these good things, okay? <laughs> no. You love them like he loved you. You go be Jesus for someone else, just like Jesus was Jesus for you. That's called being Christ-like. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.